Well, that gives you um, a little bit of a sneak preview of what's in store next week uh, and through the autumn, uh, just unpacking the kind of church that God has designed, uh, the kind of church that we believe will impact uh, our city, uh, and funnily enough, the kind of church here at Church Central we are looking to build. Uh, really looking forward to that series, uh, just as I'm very much looking forward to this morning and what God is going to speak to us as, again, we uh, open up Luke's gospel, uh, as Luke said, uh, not as Luke, as Russ said, um, we are going to be uh, looking at Luke today, then we're going to take a short pause through the autumn. Rest assured, we will return to Luke uh, in 2014 uh, and pick it up, so you're not going to be short-changed. But if you want to follow along today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. Uh, just by way of background, this chapter, Luke 9, it is very much the hinge point in Luke's story. It's the point where Jesus sets out on his epic journey to Jerusalem. If this were a movie, uh, I guess this would be where the music starts to reach a crescendo. It would be one of those climax moments when the hero of the piece realizes that for him to get rid of the villain or the enemy, he has to ride right into the place of battle and conflict. He needs to lay it all on the line and very much risk his life. And that's what he chooses to do. He makes that courageous decision to embrace the mission in front of him. And this passage here in Luke chapter 9 is very much that kind of a transition point. From here on in, Jesus starts the long march towards Jerusalem. This is Jesus resolutely setting out towards the cross, where he'd go to atone, to pay for the sins of the whole world, dying in our place for our sins as our Saviour. This is the point where he is staking his claim. He's determining his future. He's saying, this is who I am. This is very much where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. I cannot be dissuaded. I'm absolutely committed to seeing this through to completion. It is a climactic moment. And as Jesus launches out on this journey we're going to observe how various people along the way respond and react to him. And in each instance, we're going to see how Jesus spells it out loud and clear. He has to come first in their lives. First group that Jesus encounters are the Samaritans. And as we're going to see, they have very much put their tribe and the beliefs of their tribe before Jesus. And Jesus' message to them really couldn't be any clearer. He must come first. Jesus comes before tribe. Let's start reading in verse 51. Luke 9 verse 51. As the time drew near for Jesus to ascend to heaven, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. Let me start by giving you a bit of background on the Samaritans. These were sort of 
pseudo or semi-Jews. They'd intermarried with pagans, they'd established their own religion with their own temple, their own version of the Bible, and their own theology, their own beliefs. And you need to understand that the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans was pretty intense. It was pretty fierce. So what happened is, if a Jew had to travel from Galilee in the north down south to Jerusalem, they would refuse to take the obvious route, the direct route, down through Samaria. It's like they go to great lengths to avoid any contact with the place whatsoever. They'd walk all the way around the edge rather than actually going through. But Jesus doesn't walk around Samaria. He opts to walk directly through Samaria. And we're told here that he sends messengers ahead of him. You see, a lot of those towns would have been very, very small. And Jesus is in all probability traveling with quite a large entourage. It's him, plus the 12, plus probably the 70, plus any others who have come along for the ride. So you're looking at, I don't know, 80, 100 plus people. And if you're a village of, say, 40 or 60 people, you don't have a travel lodge. You don't even have a Tesco Express. It's like you're not set up to receive this number of visitors at any one time. And so messengers were sent in advance. They say, hey, Jesus is coming. Uh, Not only Jesus, there are a whole crowd of us. Do you have any food that we could have to eat? And uh, and better still, is there anywhere where we could sleep? Samaritans hear this news and send word back. You know what? We really don't want Jesus. Because if he's determined to go to Jerusalem, that means he's not going to validate our beliefs. You see... The Samaritans were very much like people today who have their whole identity wrapped up in some kind of tribe or grouping. They said, well, we're willing to have Jesus provided he joins our group. He needs to validate in some way our theology, our belief system. He he needs to go to our temple. He needs to support our leaders. He needs to reinforce our theology. And so he mustn't go to Jerusalem. But Jesus refuses to bow to their demands, and so they reject him. What they're effectively doing is they're putting their tribe before Jesus. They're willing to have him, providing he will support them. And he won't. Now, you need to understand Jesus' team is incredibly diverse. Different races, languages, nations, cultures, ethnicities, social, economic backgrounds. He invites all to follow him. He invites everyone to follow him. But he doesn't follow anyone else. I mean, he's God. He is Lord of all. I want you to think about it. What's the equivalent of your tribe? Who's your group? What's your personal identity tied up with? I don't know. It could be your family, your race, your culture, your language, your religion, your ethnicity, your 
political orientation, your sexual preference. It could be your own personal spiritual experience up until this point or your cause, that, that thing you feel most passionate about. I think if we're honest, for all of us, there are times where we are not too different from the Samaritans. We say, look, I, I like Jesus, I, I, I'm totally fine with him, providing he does what I tell him to do, providing he supports and backs up what I already believe, as long as he does the kind of things I'd like him to do. What if Jesus doesn't support our course? What if he doesn't fit in with our preferences, our cultural bias, our sexual orientation? What if he says, no, that's not what I'm into. You need to lay that down and follow me and start afresh. How do we respond then? Do we receive him or do we reject him? Tragically, the Samaritans chose to reject him. God came to earth. He walked through Samaria, the place where no one else wanted to go. He extended a hand of friendship, and they rejected it. And so, two of his disciples, James and John, they decide let's call fire down from heaven. Look, those are the guys, you want to receive Jesus? No thanks, then you're going to burn in hell. Now, I'll tell you what I like about this. There's a whole lot not to like about this, but here's what I like about this. These guys don't lack confidence. They think, we can just call fire down from heaven just at the click of our fingers, which is sort of a big assumption. But if you remember, this actually happened in the Old Testament. This actually happened in the days of Elijah. This guy Elijah, he's debating with the prophets of Baal, and literally, fire is called down from heaven. But this is not that day. And so, Jesus rebukes the disciples. He tells them, it's not time for that right now. Of course, there is a time for judgment. But this is a season, this is a time for salvation. Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to Jerusalem. When I get to Jerusalem, I'm going to die on a cross. I am going to suffer. I'm going to atone. I'm going to pay for sin. You guys, my disciples, you can come back to Samaria one day to tell them what I've done. In fact, I'm going to commission you to do that, to start out in Jerusalem, then return to Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. I'm going to give the Samaritans another opportunity to receive grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation. See, as long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing there is a chance. And yet the Samaritans blew this opportunity. They, they didn't have a right sense of urgency, but Jesus isn't going to be dissuaded. He's still going to go to the cross. He's still going to pay for sin. He's going to be patient with them, as He's patient with you, as He's patient with me, as He's patient with His own disciples here, James and John. God and Jesus, so patient with us. That doesn't mean we can afford to be blasé. doesn't mean we should be lazy or not have a sense of urgency. But it does mean that as long as we are breathing, it is not yet the time 
of condemnation. However, once somebody dies, there is the equivalent of fire from heaven. Hebrews 9:27 says, "Man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. You die, it's over. Nothing more can be done. You're, you're judged. It is heaven or hell. That's the way it is. No reincarnation, no purgatory, no second chance. So you need to have a sense of urgency. But, but as long as you're alive, it's not yet the time of condemnation. That There's still the invitation to salvation if you'll follow Jesus. Now, as Jesus continues on his journey, we then see three different people come up and have very interesting conversations with him. And like the Samaritans, each one of them has this error of potentially putting someone or something ahead of Jesus. It's like they're happy to have Jesus, providing he's in second place. As long as he's not first priority, as long as he's not their first treasure, their first love, their first commitment, he's welcome to be somewhere in the list of priorities but not in front. So first up is a man who at least faces the temptation to place his comfort before Jesus. But again, Jesus spells it out. He must come first, which means Jesus must always come before comfort. Verse 57, as they're walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And so this guy walks up to Jesus. Jesus, I want to follow you. Uh, I'm going to go wherever you go. Jesus spells it out as honestly and as clearly as he can. Look, if you want to follow me, the reality is I don't even know where I'm sleeping tonight. If you want to follow me, I haven't got a clue what I'm eating tonight. If you want to follow me, that's fine. I'm just telling you, this is going to be a rough road for us. But you'll take that deal if on one side of the scale you have all of your possessions and all of your comforts and all of your security, and on the other side you have Jesus. But you treasure Jesus above all. And you say, you know what, I'd rather be potentially broke and sick and sad with Jesus than rich and healthy and seemingly happy without him. You know what, I'll take Jesus whatever the cost. Listen, what it all boils down to is this whole issue of Jesus before comfort. You see, some of you, you perhaps live under this myth that if you walk with Jesus, everything's going to be great. You'll never get sick. You'll always get the promotion you go for. Uh, Everything will be wonderful. Just so you know, you're following a guy who was broke, homeless, got betrayed by one of his closest friends, ended up being murdered. 
That doesn't mean that following him is always going to be an easy path. But it is the best path. So let me tell you this up front. I want every single one of you to be wholehearted, passionate followers of Jesus. And I know this isn't much of a sales pitch, but you know what? We're not selling anything. We're offering Jesus as the gift, not what he gives, who he is. Jesus is the gift. Jesus is the treasure. Jesus is the greatest joy. I tell you, this really isn't your typical advertising campaign or marketing ploy, but I want you to know the truth going into it. To follow Jesus could mean, in fact, very often does mean a hard path, but one that will be filled with joy if you treasure him above all else. So Jesus comes before comfort. And then another man comes up to Jesus, and his issue is that he's putting security before Jesus. And again, Jesus is incredibly straight with him. He must always come first, which means Jesus must always come before security. Verse 59, he said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. What this person is saying is, Jesus, I want following you to be my second priority. My first priority is something else. So how about if we negotiate a deal that allows me to pursue my first priority and you'll permit me to follow you as my second priority? Some of you might say, school, first priority. Maybe that one doesn't work. (laughs) Some of you might say, career, first priority. Recreation, leisure, first priority. Family, first priority. And I want Jesus to accept second position. That's the issue here. Now, admittedly, this is one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus in the whole of the New Testament. Because it looks on the surface as though Jesus is being incredibly harsh. I want to go and bury my dad. No! But it's my dad! (laughs) I mean, surely the Ten Commandments tell us to honour our father and mother. So what's going on here? What's Jesus saying? Well, we need to understand a bit more about how that culture worked if we're going to interpret and understand what's happening here. You see, back then you were expected to look after and care for your parents as they got older. And as they were dying, you were definitely supposed to be there for them. And when they died, well, there were very strict procedures surrounding their funeral and their burial. You'd have to arrange music and meals and gatherings and clothing and mourners. This was a massive event, as well as the family, the entire community, the whole neighborhood, the whole village was invited, and it went on for days. This was a very big deal. And so, I think what we can infer from this is, when this guy says, Jesus, I totally want to follow you, but first let me go and bury my dad, 
his dad is neither dead nor dying. I mean, if his dad was dying, where would he be? With his dad. And if his dad was actually dead, where would he be? At the funeral, overseeing the affairs of the family. Now, I'm making some assumptions here, but I don't think the dad is anywhere near dead. His dad could have years, maybe decades to live. So what I think he's saying to Jesus is, I totally want to follow you, but I'm not sure my parents are going to be really excited about this. And if I don't hang in there until they die, I might miss out on my inheritance. So that's how it works. You take care of your family, then they give you a big inheritance. So he's saying, someday, sometime in the future, I am going to follow you. I mean, remember my face. I'll be back later, 10, 15, 20 years when my dad finally dies and I get this big fat inheritance, then I'll follow you. But not today. So how does this relate to us? Well, some of us are like, I will totally, wholeheartedly, passionately follow Jesus. Once I'm out of school, once I'm out of college, I need to get all my assignments knocked out because that sets up my future. That will help me be secure. You've got to have a social life, haven't you? So I, I just don't have time for Jesus right now. I certainly don't have time for church. Some of you, you're single. You're like, I'm in my 20s. And 20s are all about having fun. But when I get really old, when I get into my 30s, Maybe one day when I get married. Maybe if we have kids. That's when I'm going to get really serious about Jesus. I'm just saving up all my enthusiasm. And at some point in the future, it's going to kick in. I mean, you just wait and see. Some of you are saying, as soon as the kids are a bit older, then I'll be a whole lot more committed. I mean, I just don't have time for Jesus right now. Not able to put in the effort to mature in a relationship with him because everything revolves around the routine of my kids. As soon as they are at school, or as soon as they've got into senior school, or as soon as they've finished with their exams, or as soon as they've left home, or as soon as the grandchildren are a bit older, Jesus, I'm telling you, I'll be ready to go. And often we just continue to push it out and out and out into a future life stage someday and I get everything else lined up and my life is secure and things are all in order when, I, when I've got extra time or extra money then I'm totally going to follow Jesus but not today sometime else Jesus is saying today that there needs to be a sense of urgency. It's like Jesus is looking at this man and asking him, how many years of your life do you want to blow? How many years of your life do you want to fritter away? And he urges him to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Look, go, go teach others. Lead a life group. Plant a church. Help start a new site. Go do evangelism. Don't blow another day, another week, another year, another decade. Don't blow it. Go do something. Make a difference because if you wait, you will never do anything. And those who are spiritually dead, those who are unbelievers, they 
can bury the physically dead. Because at that point, there's nothing you can do for a dead person. It's over. There's no reincarnation, no second chance of salvation. That's it. What about all the living people who still have a shot at salvation? What about them? Please, don't put your own temporary security over their eternal security. So here's the challenge. What security is more important to you than Jesus? What, if anything, are you prioritizing over him right now? I'm mindful of a good friend of mine. He had a nice wife, great kids. But it was like he was married to his job. And he used to say, here's my plan. I'm going to work incredibly hard and then I'm going to retire when I'm 50. Then I'm totally going to have time for Jesus and my family. Others used to argue with him, no, you need to walk with Jesus and your family right now. That day may never come. And if it does, you're wasting all the time between now and then. By all means, pursue your career. Nothing wrong with that, but not at the expense of your relationship with Jesus, not at the expense of your family. You know what? My friend did retire at 50, but his wife had left him, and his kids wouldn't even speak to him. The myth he believed was, if I put my security before Jesus, I can have both. No, you can't. Because if you worship security as an idol, as your God, and you devote your whole life to it, it will fail you. At some point, it will end up disappointing you. It might even destroy you. But if Jesus is in first position, the rest of life will work itself out. It doesn't mean necessarily you'll be rich. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be popular. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll be successful in the eyes of the world. But it does mean you'll be with Jesus. And whatever happens in your life, he will get you through it. I so want the best for you really do. So, when Jesus looks at this man and says, you're deceived if you think someday I'll get serious about following Jesus. Do it today. Really, that's my plea to you as well. Is this that day for you? That day where your whole life swings on that hinge And someday in the future, when people ask you your story, you'll say, my my life was like this, but there was this day when I decided to follow Jesus first. And that's where everything changed. That's what Jesus was inviting this man to do. He's not saying, hate your parents, but he is saying, love God first and most. And then lastly, another guy comes to Jesus, and he wants to have the past in front of Jesus. But again, Jesus is having none of it. You see, Jesus must always come first, which means Jesus always comes before our past. 
verse 61. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but there it is again. But first, let me, you see that? I'll follow you, but first, that means Jesus, you're second. It never, ever works like that. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, again, what this guy is asking isn't necessarily wrong. In fact, it's understandable. He, he wants to say goodbye to his family. But repeatedly in the Gospels, we read that Jesus knew people's thoughts. Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus knows what's really going on beneath the surface with people. He knows that if this guy goes back, in all probability, he's never going to move forward It's like that story where soldiers land on a beach and before they go into battle, their commander orders them to burn all of their boats. They're saying, win or lose, we are in it until the end. There will be no retreat. There'll be no return to our former way of life. J.C. Ryle, a famous Anglican bishop in the 19th century said, those who look back want to go back. That's how it works. Remember, that's how it was for the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were in bondage and slavery in Egypt to the pharaohs for 440 years. He tormented them, beat them, killed them. And then, miraculously, God liberated them. And they're walking through the desert towards the promised land. And what do they do? Complain. Ah, you remember the good old days in Egypt. Yeah, Egypt totally rocked. I'm telling you, I really miss those days. Really? You were a slave. Yeah, but at least we got to eat cucumbers back then. Now, I'm not a great fan of cucumbers, that has to be said. Even if I was, I'm not sure that they would have that much prominence in my mind. But we we do have that tendency to romanticise the past. View it through rose-tinted spectacles. And Jesus is saying, don't look back like that. Because what happens is, you're going to ruin your life. And he uses this analogy of plowing. And I love this analogy because I think it perfectly illustrates Jesus' own life. It's like Jesus himself has got his hand on the plow. He's, he's got his face set resolutely towards Jerusalem. He's just pressing forward to the cross. He is not looking back. He's not saying, boy, I remember when my life was so much easier. I remember when I didn't get criticized or abused or ridiculed. I remember the good old days back in heaven where everyone worshipped me 24-7. He doesn't look back at all. It's forward to the cross. And Jesus picks up this plowing analogy and he says, your life is like a field. And God has apportioned to you a row to plow. And you need to put your hand on the plow. And you need to set your eyes towards the new Jerusalem that will be coming down out of heaven. The one that the ascended Jesus even now is preparing for us. The place where we'll enjoy eternity with him. And just like he plowed a straight line right into Jerusalem, we need to plow a straight line right into the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, and not be looking back. Eyes forward, 
hands on the plow, feet always moving, working hard, doing our best in the strength and power of the Holy Spirit until we see him face to face. And what he says is, if you don't do that, if you choose instead to keep looking back, you will take your hand off the plow, you will stop plowing, you cannot plow a straight row while at the same time looking back, you really can't. It's a great analogy. I wish I hadn't missed out on that experience. If only I'd seized that opportunity. If only I'd experimented a bit more back then. If only I'd lied in that situation. If only I'd cheated at that moment. If only I'd married them instead. If only I'd chosen that alternative route. Some of you feel this intensely. It's like, okay, Jesus, I've got my hand on the plow. But then you look back. Everything else ends up going all crooked. You cannot go straight forward whilst looking backwards. You just can't do it. And so let me ask you, in your life, what are you looking back at with regret? What do you feel would be better in your life if you weren't following Jesus? What do you feel like Jesus is in some way withholding from you? What do you find yourself longing for from your past? Where do you feel that ache? I so wish I could go back to that relationship, that lifestyle, those friends, that place. Jesus says, don't go there. It is not going to lead to anything good in your life. Keep your hand on the plow. Keep looking ahead. Keep your feet moving forwards. If you want to have any harvest in your life, if you want to have any fruitfulness in your life, if, if you want your life to count in some way for God, if you want to live a life with no regrets, then plow a straight row. And I'll close with this. I think this is really interesting. We don't know what these three men did. We, we don't know. Luke doesn't tell us what they did. Did they choose their comfort, their security, their past over Jesus? We just don't know. It's as if Luke leaves this question hanging, so we are forced to answer it for ourselves. Will I follow Jesus first, right now, no looking back? That's the all-important question for you and me. Will I follow Jesus first, right now, no looking back? For some of you, that, that means you're going to become a Christian today and follow Jesus. It's like this is that day for you. Now's the moment. Others of you, you realize, well, my, my life resembles a crooked row. It's as though I push for a while, then I look back, then I push a little bit more, and in all honesty, it feels like I've lost my way a bit. 
but I want all of that to change. I want to be really wholeheartedly devoted to following Jesus, wherever he takes me, whatever that means. And I can tell you, life with Jesus isn't the easiest, but it is the best. And if you're willing to put Jesus in first position, which actually is who he is and what he deserves, if you're willing to put your hand to the plough, to plough a straight line of holiness and purity and obedience and humility and repentance without looking back, then there are no regrets at all. And it's the best life there is. Now, that's what you want today. You want to say, Jesus comes first in my life might be saying that for the first time, you might be saying it for the hundredth time, but today, for the first time, maybe once again, you just want to say, no, in my life, Jesus is first. I want to invite you to stand. I'd love to pray for you. Stand if you want to.